0: Hi, and welcome to the Airwave Podcast, an anesthesia podcast for medical students. My name's Grace, and joining me today is my co-host, Peru. We're really excited for today's episode, as it's been very highly requested by our listeners. You guessed it, another guest speaker episode. Today, we have the privilege of exploring a different road to anesthesia as we chat with a family practice anesthesiologist. We also want to give a big shout out to our classmate and fellow medical student, Monica Brundich, for helping organize this episode.
1: Hey, everybody. Super excited to be here. Our guest speaker is Dr. Daniela Dimitri. She's a family practice anesthesiologist and emergency physician at Stevenson Memorial Hospital and Ridge Health. She completed her rural family medicine residency and her anesthesia training at McMaster University. She has an interest in crisis management and critical care teaching, especially in the context of rural resource limited settings. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Well, hi, Dr. Dimitri. Thank you so much for joining on the podcast today. It's really uh it's it's incredible to have you with us today.
2: Thanks for having me
1: amazing um just to begin, maybe we could sort of get started by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background. So where did you do medical school and and residency and um, how and when did you discover an interest in anesthesia?
2: So I started medical school at McMaster uh, in 2015 at the Hamilton site. And then um, I went on to do my residency at the Mount Forest Uh, family medicine site, actually, Uh, but it's associated with Kitchener-Waterloo. And then I did uh, an extra year of training in anesthesia at McMaster. So all my medicine or medical career was at McMaster University. I would say I discovered my interest in anesthesia probably uh, three quarters of the way through medical school, Um, so maybe trying to think when when you guys have your CARM schedule. So January, February of the year, you have to apply. So I didn't have that much time to prepare everything from a residency perspective, but I think I did well enough because I'm here today. So um, yeah, I discovered it through my elective, actually. Uh, No, actually through my core rotation. And I just didn't didn't really know of anesthesia before then. And then when I had my core rotation, just pretty much fell in love. Um, because up until that point, I was really striving for family medicine and maybe some emerge. So then having discovered this passion for anesthesia, um, I started to do more electives in it, working with FRCPs, uh, mainly in academic centers. Um, I applied to both the five-year and the three-year, well, and family medicine plus one uh, sort of route. And then I got into family medicine.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to hear. And I know a lot of our classmates also kind of struggle with the different routes and kind of gathering more information about it. So we're really excited to hear more about it today as well. But maybe once you realized you liked anesthesia, what kind of thoughts did you have when choosing or thinking about the FRCP route versus the family plus uh, one route?
2: Uh, It was a very confusing time for me um, because I you know, knew I liked general practice and how flexible that was. But then I discovered this amazing new specialty that you don't really hear much about uh, until you do your core rotation. So I did as much electives as I can in both. So I did family medicine electives. um, I did, you know, anesthesia, ICU. And, you know, by the time CARMS came around, I think even though I I had uh, not as much time to prepare for it, I think my application was strong for both family medicine and anesthesia. Um, You know, I would say I was pretty torn even up until ranking my schools and my choices uh, between doing the five-year or doing family medicine plus one. And to be honest, I didn't really see it at the time of like, using family medicine to get to anesthesia because, you know, if, if you only see yourself doing anesthesia and nothing else, um, or anesthesia in ICU or, or whatever, then I would not recommend the family medicine route. But if you, you know, like general practice, you like hospitalists, you like emerge, you like anesthesia, uh, and you see yourself, um, doing a little bit of everything or keeping up your skills and everything, then I would say the family medicine route is the way to go. I don't suggest using family medicine plus one to just get to anesthesia, because we'll talk about it a little bit later, but your, your career is a little bit different or your week to week is a bit different. And so um, I think you really just have to sit down with yourself and just try to picture what your future looks like and what your average week looks like. and, And you take it from there.
1: Yeah, I think that's really insightful in terms of figuring out or kind of getting into your head about what what decision-making you have to take towards the end of medical school. Um, And and it's pretty clear that you had spent a lot of time sort of reflecting on that in terms of where your career was going. Uh, When when you ended up in family medicine and were considering going down the FPA route, um, what do you think are sort of the uh, you know, pros and cons or the the perks of doing the FPA route over the FRCP. And, um, and how did you sort of put that in context of your career goals?
2: So I would say that, you know, it's a family medicine is a short program and you're not going to know everything before you graduate. Uh, I focused my first year on my family medicine, uh, skills and knowledge and, um, pretty much mentality of training to become a general practitioner. Uh, your second year, I, I, if I remember correctly, is when you have the ability to do a lot more electives. Um, so, so during that year was when, um, or maybe a little bit before is when I, you know, did some anesthesia electives with family practice anesthetists and I did um some ICU electives as well, just to get a little bit more critical care training. But that kind of helped me from two fronts, because I knew that I wanted to do some sort of acute care medicine, I, whether it was anesthesia, or in the eMERGE, or, you know, wherever, uh, I knew that that elective would come in useful anywhere. So I forgot the question. <laughs> I got kind of sidetracked, but I maybe that answered a bit of it. So I did most of my electives in second year. Some of them were were a little bit later in my first year, um, and I really got to know, you know, the the plus one program as well as what a GPA week looks like or career looks like by working with them. If you work with five year anesthetists while you're in family medicine, I think that's all well and good if you want to brush up on your skills, but. But they they can't tell you what it feels like to to be a general practitioner with the type of training that you can get and where you can work and the type of cases you would do.
1: So it seems like uh, it seems like the the perks that you encountered of going down the FPA route were still retaining onto those generalist skills and having a lot of flexibility in your practice. Is that is that right? A hundred
2: percent. Because when I first graduated from my plus one, I, went, I worked in a, commun- in a hospital, like a rural hospital that not only depended on me for my anesthesia skills and what happened in the OR, but I would often get called to do central lines or to help resuscitate a sick patient in the eMERGE um, or to ventilate them uh, or to do other procedures. So, um, you know, you, you kind of become the, the critical care specialist in your small community.
0: It's really interesting to hear. Yeah, I I do agree with you in the sense that's not really uh, chatted a lot about this route. So it's interesting to hear how you came about it. Um, Another question I had kind of in terms of the the training process. So I know you said you did uh, different rotations kind of focused in anesthesia in the second year of family medicine. Did you do anything else in terms of like research or anything outside of that to kind of secure this plus one position? Or how was the process going through CARMS again? And maybe you can speak a little bit more about that.
2: So, um, I, I'm not a fan of research. That just wasn't my thing. I did it for a little bit in medical school, but realized that that's not what I'm interested in. Um, and so, so my experience and, um, preparation for the program and to try and get into the program was kind of geared towards what I was interested in, what I was passionate about. So that's, what's kind of nice about, um, being in residency and then, and then kind of applying after that. Right. So for me, I did the electives where I worked with rural anesthetists. I did critical care electives like ICU. Um, and rather than research, I just, I, I, I talked a lot to, to people who, um, you know, did anesthesia, did emerge, did hospitalist, um, And so, by doing that and by completing my electives and connecting with the program directors for the Plus One programs that we could talk about as well, um, I think during my interview process and my application, I think they saw that I was genuinely interested and that I was genuinely passionate about this and that I understood what it meant and that I knew the pros and the cons of working as a GP anesthetist and it wasn't just well, she looks good on paper, but she has no idea what she's talking about in the interview. Right. Um, and I wasn't interested in research that so I didn't do it, but some people did. Um, so that's how I went about it.
1: Amazing. So uh, if uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of just walking us through um, the plus one route in the FP program, uh, where, where exactly did you do your training and, and what rotations did you complete? Because uh, I can understand, you know, with the one year of, of additional um, uh, training, it's, it must be a very packed schedule.
2: Yeah, so uh, it is very busy. It is very packed um, with uh, quite thoughtfully um, scheduled rotations. I did it at McMaster um, where Jess, Dr. Jesse Guscott was the program director for the anesthesia Uh, plus one. I think he still is. Uh, So you, you get right into it. Like there's, there's no time wasted. (laughs) So um, you have blocks of, you got like two months of OB anesthesia. So any of the specialty uh, anesthesia training, including obstetrics and pediatrics um, are done at academic centers that's where you're going to get the most experience. Um, so obstetrical anesthesia, I did at St. Joe's in Hamilton for about two months. Um, I did a pediatric anesthesia rotation for two months as well, I think at Mumsey. Um, and then you do, uh, general anesthesia, like adult anesthesia, but that could be in community hospitals. So I did Brantford and Kitchener for that. I did not have any ICU um, electives or training. And I don't, to be honest, I don't even remember if we did have electives. I think, I think there might be some flexibility for a week or two. But like I said, the schedule is quite um, thoughtfully planned out and is already so full that you really just don't have time to mess around because you only have one year, right? And then the rest of the time would be in rural anesthesia. So my training was in Collingwood. You had the option to go to, I think, Owen Sound if you wanted to, which is not really rural, but it's anyways. Um, And you have a few other options, like Aurelia was one rotation my colleague did. So I spent it in Collingwood, which is fantastic because you're one-on-one with your program director and uh, this is what you're going to be doing. Like, this is what... Your work will look like after you finish. So for me, the anesthesia program at McMaster was amazing. I had, you know, I think I had enough training. I I felt nervous going into real world, but honestly, did not feel like I was ill prepared or was missing anything. To be honest, um, even when I spoke to the five year. Uh, Anesthesia residents, because you do do your academic days with them every Wednesday, Um, they all felt like after year two, they could do general anesthetic as well. And then you get into your specialties in the FRCP. So uh, it was a very intense program, but it was awesome. And I recommend it to anyone.
0: (laughs) That's super exciting to hear. It's cool that they just throw you into it. I guess that's sometimes how you learn best. Um, But maybe you can walk us through a typical uh, work week for you and kind of how you integrate uh, anesthesia in your practice. Sure. So
2: I do emergency medicine as well. At one point I did hospitalist work and I may come back to it. I just uh, have tailored my schedule right now because I have a child. So uh, she takes some of my attention away. But so my week will look like um, so. You know, I might have the Monday off. Uh, and then Tuesday, I have a full case list in the OR. And then I'm on call all night until 8 a.m. the next morning. So depending on how busy your center is, sometimes you might sleep the full night. Uh, sometimes you might have, you know, appendix, surgeries, gallbladders, uh, C-sections. Like if you're an obstetric center, then you will likely be busier up at some point. <laughs> when you're on call. Um, so, so I'll do that. And then obviously you're on call for epidurals or any kind of major emergencies in the emergency room for airway or ventilation usually. And then, you know, sometimes I'll have a post-call day off, but most of the time I don't, I work the next day as well. And I'll do a full case list and then I might, finish my day at four thirty ish and then go home. Um, on the nights that I sleep, that works very well on the nights that I don't it does not work very well to work post-call. But, um, you know, like I said, depending on your center, it can be quite busy during call, but it might not be. And then the Thursday, Friday is usually one or two emergency shifts, whether it's an overnight shift or a double shift or something where I work 16 hours. Um, and then I'll have the weekend off. So that's, that's like three out of the four weeks in the month. And then there's one weekend a month where I'm either working in the emergency room or I'm on call for anesthesia. If I'm on call for anesthesia, it's typically a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, sometimes I'll just do the Saturday, Sunday, but keep in mind, so so call in rural um, anesthesia is different than call with FRCP anesthetists. Um, when, you're, when you have a team of 12 or 15 anesthetists in a big hospital where they're all FRCPs, then, then sure, your call is once every two weeks, maybe once every, I don't know, 10 days, um, but you're busy, right? And so you do have a post-call day. When you have a small team in rural uh, hospital, so i I'm part of a team of five. then your call is probably one in five or seven, uh, but it may or may not be busy. So uh, some people, some of the anesthetists live in town, so they do call from home. And some people uh, do call at the hospital. So I do not live close to the hospital. I live one hour away, so when I'm there, I'm working and I'm busy, but when I come home, I'm done. And I don't. So so that's worked out for me. But some people prefer to just do it at home, from home. Right. Because you might not be called the whole night.
1: That's really incredible. I think I think hearing your stories and your insights about that, at least for me personally, just makes me reflect on um, sort of the lack of deep engagement that we get with rural communities and what rural medicine can look like sometimes. Um, and it just seems like such a world away when we're talking to the larger academic centers in our training. Right. Um, Maybe just kind of going into one of the issues that you had sort of brought up was, um, uh, I understand a part of your practice is uh, is obstetric anesthesia to an extent. And it seems like um, one of the questions that that genuinely comes up is, you know, how does scope of practice work in those sorts of situations? So if you wouldn't mind sort of elaborating a bit more on scope of practice of uh, and sort of the, the skill set that you bring to the table as a family practice anesthetist versus an FRCP, that would be great.
2: Okay, so um, one, of, one of the skills slash kind of knowledge and training that you don't get in residency, and frankly, you wouldn't get in a five-year either, um, is knowing what your hospital can do and its limitations, um, and knowing what you can do and your limitations, especially when you're often the only anesthetist on during the weekend um, or at night. So so one of the skills that I have and that I bring to the table, which honestly, like a lot of your surgeons will have that your your obstetrical team will have that. But but really, like you're the one that um, sometimes or most of the time makes the call um, is whether or not you can do specific cases at your center and if and if they can handle it. So, uh, you know, being the person to to have to pretty much decide if it's safe to go through with, let's say, you know, um, a really, really sick bowel case or something um, or a uh, BMI, a lady with a BMI of 50 who needs a C-section. You know, those sound like very easy things to do in a a big centre, but they are not so easy to do in a small centre. So one of the skills I would say is resource management and and, um, advocating for your patients in terms of where it is best to have their procedures done um, or where it is best to care for that patient. So, you know, intubating someone and ventilating someone is no problem. You can do that anywhere, right? It's the aftercare. It's, you know, how much blood do you have available? How much nursing staff can be with that patient post-operatively do we have an ICU do we have capabilities for long-term ventilation that sort of thing um, so there's that one piece whereas in big centers you don't really think twice about that like you know what they'll need but you have that available in your hospital it's much harder to plan for that one like you don't have an ICU and your patient cannot be extubated post-op right And so there's there's often and you learn, honestly, as you go and your tolerance will either uh, increase or decrease and change depending on your experiences. But um, sometimes there were patients that we shouldn't have taken to the OR that we that I thought we could. And sometimes there are patients that, you know, uh, I felt were too sick and were transferred and likely would have been fine at our center. But you just you end up learning and making calls and whatever you're comfortable with. There's that piece. Um, There's the piece of kind of being the like, like I said, kind of critical care specialist in your center. Your emergency room doctors definitely have that skill, but there are certain skills like um, procedures, uh, airway, um, and management of, you know, Blood pressure, pressors, and that sort of thing that you are more comfortable dealing with because you do it on a daily basis. Um, so, so that skill set kind of falls on you, and sometimes the emergency um, medicine doctor, but sometimes they call you because they don't have that skill set. Um, or starting lines in a in, in a newborn or a neonate, right, for transfer that sort of thing. Does it happen often? No. But it happens enough, <laughs> um, so you kind of become the go-to person for that. Whereas in bigger centers, every department has their own specialist and go-to person, right? There's neonatologists, there's um, ICU doctors, there's intent, like uh, interventional cardiologists, there's all that stuff um, available.
0: So I would say those are the two main things. That makes sense. I feel like you have to be this jack of all trades sometimes in the community for sure. And I bet you it build really good skills. Um, maybe just kind of our last question here is um, any advice you'd have to medical students who are interested in anesthesia as they uh, go through medical school? Hmm.
2: <laughs> um, so I would say. Experience as much as you can and talk as much as you can to the people and supervisors you are working with. It sounds simple, but, you know, there's teaching to be had, but in medical school, there's also, uh, this is your chance to really get to know, you know, what it's like on a day-to-day basis um, and, and, you know, what your supervisors would do differently or how they feel about certain things. So, I would say, If you have questions about what your life will look like after residency, then ask them, don't be afraid, not like, don't just, a lot of people don't talk about that and they don't talk about what their life will look like after residency, because it feels like it'll never end, but it will one day. And then you're left with what you chose based on um, what you've reflected on and who you've talked to. Right. So I would say really truly just try to talk to people during your electives and, and see if this could be the right career path for you. It's really like, I think we're too young to make these decisions of choosing a career for the rest of your life. So if you can do as much research as you can, then, then you're better off for it. And I would say one advantage of doing the family medicine route is that, you know, 10 years from now, I probably will be doing something different than I am. So I know anesthesia will be there consistently in, in, you know, how much quantity is that? I, I'm not sure, but it's nice to know that I have the flexibility of doing eMERGE or doing walk-in clinics or doing hospitalists or doing, I don't know, like, Botox clinics. If I really wanted to, right? There's a bunch of stuff that that you really don't see and you don't think is possible right now because all you're seeing is your your academic experience and the specialties because you are going to tertiary care centers. But when you start practicing, you will realize that your practice can look very different and diverse. And I think I think that FRCPs have that opportunity, but uh, it's it's probably easier for family medicine and anesthesia specialists to do that.
1: Amazing. Well, I I really want to thank you again for offering your expertise and your kind of life experience. I feel like uh, we've been getting a lot of requests from, from listeners to have uh, this type of episode. And I hope that this really helps our audience kind of figure out what they want to do in in terms of their career and, and having your input with that definitely helps. So thank you again for your time.
2: You are absolutely welcome.
0: And that concludes our episode with Dr. Dimitri. We hope you learned a little bit more about family practice anesthesiology. And we hope that Dr. Dimitri's advice can be useful to any medical student that may be considering anesthesia through the five-year program or through family medicine.
1: As always, keep in touch with us over Twitter and Instagram at Airwave Podcast and message us with any questions or comments. If you want short summaries of our episodes, please check out our website for more information. And until next time, keep working hard. Stay healthy, stay safe, take some nice deep breaths, and count back from 10.